It's a movement, but it's about people. Be the People is about we the people joining forces to reclaim and reshape the best of our nation's time-treasured traditions. Each week, we offer insightful interviews with movers and shakers from all different spheres of life. And now, please welcome Dr. Carol Swain. Welcome to Be the People. I'm Carol Swain. How much do you know about the U.S. Constitution? Do you believe it's only for lawyers and judges? Or is it for ordinary people like us? Well, today in this episode, I'm interviewing Paul Engel. Paul Engel is a former IT person who has started a project called the Constitution Study. And Paul started this study to educate everyday Americans like us about our U.S. Constitution and what it means to study that Constitution, to understand it, and someday perhaps to defend it. Too few Americans know the importance of the U.S. Constitution. So, Paul, welcome to the Be the People show. Thank you, Carol. Thank you for having me. It's, uh, it, it's quite a pleasure. And, Paul, what got you started in the study of the Constitution? Because I understand your background is IT. Yeah, I had a 30-year career in the IT industry doing everything from software development and, and help desk and data centers to uh, training. And uh, what really started, I, I actually heard a gentleman uh, by the name of David Barton who made history not boring, which was quite unique in my experience. Right, and, I know David. Yep. Uh, he's got a great program, uh, Wall Builders. I, I love listening to his podcast. And during his podcast, he, he quoted a gentleman by the name of John Jay. Uh, if you're not familiar, uh, he is one of our founding fathers. He did, he was involved in the debates on the Constitution. He wrote several of the Federalist Papers. And he was also our first Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. And uh, the quote was, from Jay was, it is incumbent on every citizen to both read and study the Constitution of his country and teach the rising generation to be free. By knowing their rights, they will sooner recognize when they are violated and be the better prepared to defend and assert them. And I took that as a challenge. And I realized I had never really sat down and read and studied the Constitution. Uh, so I did. And I realized, first of all, how much I did not know. But more importantly, I realized how much I do know or I did know that just wasn't true. And that really got me involved in, in studying it and studying the, the founding fathers and the creation of the document and what was actually created uh, when we signed that document uh, uh, those 200 and almost 250 years ago now. Now, Paul, what struck you uh, doing your first reading of the Constitution, your first serious study, what jumped out at you? It was just how many times, you know, the, we had this common knowledge about how things work. And it was just how many times my common knowledge didn't match with the words on paper. Uh, perfect example, okay. uh, many years ago, I was working on a project with uh, an international team. I was actually the only American on the team. We had Australians and, and 
South Africans and Irish and um, Germans. And it happened to be another presidential election, go figure. So they were here in the U.S. And of course, that's all on the news. And they asked me to explain to them how this process works because it doesn't make a lot of sense to them. And I gave them the answer I had been taught in school and I explained the Electoral College and all that. Well, when I read the Constitution, realized everything I knew about how the president gets elected was wrong. It, it really hit me. It, it was one of the ones that, that I realized just how little I actually knew. So what year was this that you uh, developed this passion for really understanding the Constitution? Uh, I don't know if there was a, uh, I could say a specific time. It was probably 2010, 2011, 2012, right around there. Um, well, when did you but, start the Constitution study? Yeah, the actual study came about in 2014. Uh, I was driving home from a friend's Bible study, listening to wall builders, and uh, they they did a report on a study from the First Amendment Foundation that found that in their 2013 survey, 36% of Americans could not name a single freedom protected by the First Amendment. So they, they knew nothing of the Bill of Rights. They, they, yeah, they couldn't. Well, they had heard phrases and they could quote phrases. But when asked, okay, name the five freedoms protected by the First Amendment, a third of them could not name a single one. And this, this bothered me. This aggravated me. And I'm, again, I'm driving home from this Bible study and the thought hit me. Why don't we study the Constitution the way my friends and I had just studied the Bible? Why can't we get together in small groups, read the actual words on parchment, discuss them, debate them, try to understand them, and then learn how to apply them? And hence the Constitution study was born. Now, when did you have your first meeting and how many people were there and what location did you choose? Well, it's, it's funny because, you know, I have this weird idea. It wasn't my first. It won't be my last. So I did what any intelligent man in my position did. And I Are went you married? home and talked to my wife. Yes, Are I am. You, okay. So you, all right, I, you got there. <laughs> I went home and talked to my wife. Okay. And she, and she gave me this kind of quizzical look like, okay, I don't quite understand it, but okay. Um, so I talked to several friends of mine who gave me similar looks. All of my friends except one. Uh, one friend actually dragged me down to the, I lived in a small town in upstate New York, dragged me down to the local public library and said, we want to have a constitution study and we want to have it here. I have no idea what it means, but my friend Paul here is doing it. So ask him. Mm -hmm. And we advertised it. We put signs out and we had, on average, we had about a dozen people show up every other week. And we read and we studied the Constitution. And it was always interesting because in every meeting, there would be times of we'd laughing and, and having fun and enjoying ourselves and then realize just how frustrating it is when you start learning the way things are actually supposed to work and you compare them to the way they work today. And, um, you know, we, every, every session, I got a variation of the same two questions. Um, if the Constitution says this, why do we do that? And somebody would ask, how do we fix it? And that became kind of a passion. So when I moved from upstate New York to Middle Tennessee, where I didn't have the same close network, 
I decided to take it online. Uh, so that's where I started. I put up my website, constitutionstudy.com, started writing articles, started uh, doing a podcast and eventually a, a video series. And I have a couple small books that I've written that are available on Amazon. And I have a full length book coming out uh, in the next couple of months that uh, is my constitution study in book form. And later this year, I'm going to start releasing an online class, which will be an online version of my constitution study. Okay, that's, you've been very busy. Uh, how long have you lived in Tennessee? Uh, I moved down here full time five years ago. So it, was 20, it was August of 2015. Well, there are several uh, prominent Tennesseans that have a passion for um, the constitution. Have you been able to connect with other people that are working hard to educate Americans about the Constitution. Yes, um, it, it very interesting. Shortly after I started the podcast and uh, the, the the more continuous web articles, uh, I got contacted by a gentleman in Eastern Tennessee who was involved with a group uh, that uh, looks to vet candidates based on their constitutional uh, positions. And I started working with them. I started providing them some of my material. Uh, I, that put me in touch with another group that actually wants to start constitution studies in every county in the nation. There was obviously a synergy there. And that has allowed me to spread my message a bit farther, a bit wider, uh, as, we, as well as dealing with the local homeschool communities. Uh, homeschoolers seem to have a natural affinity towards learning for themselves directly from the original documents and you know whether it's um any of the local uh homeschool conferences or uh just the different uh study groups to help them give them a a, a material they can use and more importantly a place to ask questions wow. i can't think of everybody's question when i write a book but if they ask a question i can usually try to give them an answer at some point uh, paul i would like to introduce you uh to michael patrick Leahy of the Tennessee Star, if you've not met him, because he has a passion for teaching the Constitution and they have um, conferences and quite a few activities going on. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Uh, so we're gonna take a break and when we return though, I would like to talk about the Supreme Court case, Espinosa versus Montana Department of Revenue. Each week, the Be The People Show presents interviews with insightful guests from the world of politics, religion, media, and culture. The Be The People Show is on podcast. It offers bonus footage. To listen to Be The People online, go to the BeThePeopleNews.com website and subscribe to the Be The People podcast, heard also on the America Out Loud Network. It's your news and entertainment network. News blogs, informative podcasts, entertaining videos, or listen to 24-7 Talk Radio on our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. We the people, AmericaOutloud.com is the voice of liberty and justice for all. Welcome to the new era in communications. America Out Loud Talk Radio. I'm 
back with my guest, Paul Engel, and we're talking all things Constitution. And so, Paul, there's a case pending before the U.S. Supreme Court that you're particularly interested in. Could you tell our listeners why this case is important? Certainly. The case is Espinoza versus Montana Department of Revenue. And it came to my attention in large part because a lot of the Christian community is talking about it as their opportunity to say whether or not um, public money going to Christian-based organizations is constitutional. If you follow the news, there's, there have been several cases about um, can public funds, you know, can there was a, a case in Maryland about whether or not public funds could be used to maintain a World War I memorial because it happens to be in the shape of a cross. Right. Um, there, there have been uh, situations where uh, public money was used to uh, help make play, playgrounds safer for children, but they excluded any, organ, any playground that was in any way affiliated with a religious organization. There's been a lot of these cases, and this is the first one that made it to the Supreme Court. And the basics are the state of Montana created a tax credit program. And the idea was individuals and corporations could get a tax credit of up to $150 if they donated money to a scholarship fund that would eventually go to what they call a qualified educational program, uh, legal speak, right? Qualified educational program. It passed the legislature. It was signed by the governor. When the Department of Revenue went to implement the law, they looked at it and said they think that it, they thought it was in conflict with the state's Blaine Amendment. Now, uh, James Blaine was a U.S. senator in the 19th century who tried to get a, an amendment passed uh, to the U.S. Constitution forbidding the use of public money going to any religious schools. It did not get support in Congress, but 38 states have adopted similar amendments, including in this case, the state of Montana. So the uh, Department of Revenue wrote a rule called Rule 1, modifying the definition of a qualifying educational program. See, the original definition was pretty much any private school. Right. Rule 1 said, okay, but it cannot be in any way, shape, or form associated or accredited by a religious organization, church, or denomination. Well, parents who were, would be the beneficiaries of these scholarships sued. Uh, yes. They sued in the district court of the state of Montana, and the district court looked at it and said, well, the Blaine Amendment says no money or appropriations can go directly or indirectly to a religious organization. There is no money coming out of the treasury. There is no appropriation. Therefore, it is not... Um, uh, it, it is not a violation of the Blaine Amendment. They even went so far as to say the Department of Revenue exceeded its authority by effectively rewriting legislation. They're not legally allowed to do that. Well, this went to the Montana Supreme Court, which looked at it and said, no, you're wrong. This is a violation of the Blaine Amendment and, um, and, and, and overturned that ruling. The... Um, the original plaintiffs, the families, uh, play, appealed to the Supreme Court of the United States claiming protections that violated the First Amendment um, free, uh, free Exercise Clause, the, the, I'm sorry, the Establishment Clause. 
that's where I got involved and that's where things get a little interesting because it's not quite as straightforward as most people seem to think. Why? And first, would you tell our listeners about the First Amendment and the relevant clauses in the First Amendment? Right. So in the First Amendment, uh, freedom of speech consists of two clauses, uh, the what's called the free exercise clause and the establishment clause. And the establishment clause says that the Congress... In, Congress you said no freedom, freedom of speech. You meant freedom of religion. Sorry, yes, freedom yeah. of religion. Freedom of speech comes comes next. But so the freedom of religion is Congress shall make no law regarding the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, and that's the first problem. You see, the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution says Congress shall make no law. This was not a law passed by Congress. This was a law right. passed by a state legislature. So it cannot be a violation of the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution because Congress didn't make this law. But aren't, aren't those laws sort of incorporated uh, into the uh, states, the Bill of Rights, through, through the incorporation? Well, the selective incorporation doctrine is illegal. It's a violation of the Constitution itself. The, the thing no, but I mean, that's what the court does, right? So, well, I mean... Just because the court does it doesn't make it legal. Okay, well, but I mean, that's what we, we're operating in a framework where people, where people are justified in believing that if it, um, Congress is barred from doing it, then that would also bar the states from doing it. So that's their reasoning, right? Yeah, yeah but the, the problem with that is that's not what the law says. Now, if, and the perfect example is, um, Let's say yeah, you and I, we sign a contract to do some, some work together. And the contract specifically lists what you're supposed to do and what I'm supposed to do. Now, if I turn around and start changing the rules, I start acting differently. Right. You're not going to be very happy. You're going to say, you're going to take me to court and you're going to want the court to look at the document, to look at the contract and say, Paul's violating the contract. Well, it's the exact same with the Constitution. The Constitution's a compact. It's a contract between the states. It specifically identifies the, the, not only the structure of the federal government, but its, its roles, its limitations, its bylaws. And just because a member of the Constitution, a member of the government created by the Constitution decides differently doesn't change the law. So and if laws that- don't mean what they say on paper, they don't mean anything. So do you think the, uh, the, the parents will prevail in this case? And again, you're not speaking as a lawyer. You're speaking as a person that studied the Constitution. Do you think that they will prevail? Um, I think it's probably about a 50-50 chance. And, and, and again, the problem is, even if, even if the, the Supreme Court comes up with the just answer for the parents, They've done it the wrong way. They but I mean, we can go to a lot of cases that the court has decided and say that they had the right, you know, that the outcome was fine, but they went about it the wrong way. Uh, numerous that, that's cases. true, but that, that's also extremely dangerous. Yeah, so I would agree that it's dangerous. Is, that's what the we're, court we're does. Taking, we, we are taking nine people in black robes and saying they are above the law. They get to dictate to us how we live. They get to dictate to us what the law should mean. And we've turned them from, um, from arbiters of justice 
into an oligarchy of rulers. Well, we know that that is a problem. Conservatives know that's a problem. And and so a lot of us uh, have complained about the judicial activism. And that's why most conservatives like originalists who try to stick to the text of the Constitution. Exactly. And, and, but even of justice, like, like Justice Thomas, who's, who is very good. I'm curious to see his uh, opinion of this case, because even in the, in the uh, case of the Bladensburg World War I Memorial, he noted the First Amendment applies only to federal law. It does not apply to the states. He's the only one of the nine justices that actually quoted from the Constitution the words, anything, actually. In the words he quoted were, Congress shall make no law. Now, the, the big problem here is Montana, like a lot of states, they have a problem in their constitution. They have two clauses in their constitution that are opposed to each other. Right. They, have a, a, they have their own free exercise clause. In fact, the language of the, um, of the Montana constitution mirrors almost exactly the federal constitution. It so says it sounds the state, like they are violating their own constitution when they denied the parents um, the funds for religious schools. Pro- are you saying that? Their own constitution is in conflict. Right. So on the one hand, their constitution says that the state shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. But it also says that the state will, will, will not spend any money on religious organizations. Now, the problem with that is they're treating religious organizations as second class, the members of those organizations as second class citizens. So they're discriminating against members of religious organizations. Right. If everything else is the same, uh, for 150 years, the uh, free exercise clause, both in the federal constitution and the state constitutions was understood. They said all things being equal, Government should not be involved in any way, shape, or form in, um, in how a, a religious organization functions. Right? You have to treat them equally. You have to treat a religious organization like you would any other organization. And Montana and 37 other states don't. So they have an effectively established a religion that says, if you're secular, we will give you benefits. We will give you uh, money that we won't give if you're a religious organization. So now they have two clauses that are in conflict. And rather than dealing with that conflict the way they should at the state level, we went to our, we, we, we went, they went to the, the federal government because we've been taught that the federal government is supreme to everyone. We'll get them to be the big bully on the block and force the state to do what we want it to do. That of course is extremely dangerous it is illegal, it's unconstitutional, and it's part of the problems we have in putting so much emphasis on a government that is, for the mo- especially a, a branch of the government, that is not responsible to the people of the United States. Well, we're going to take another break, Paul, and when we return, I'd like to get your advice for the American people and we're all going to be watching that case, uh, Espinosa versus Montana Department of Revenue. What if there was a book that took the mystery out of prayer, one that made it easier for people to pray God's word with miraculous results? There is such a book, Joy Lamb's The Sword of the Spirit, The Word of God is a handbook that has changed the lives of thousands of people around the world. 
you can order your life-changing copy from Joy Lamb's website, thesoardofthespiritbook.com. Order Joy's book and listen to her audio prayers while you're there. I'm back with my guest, Paul Engel, and we're discussing um, the Constitution and also a particular case, Espinoza versus Montana Department of Revenue. And so, um, Paul, I guess we'll have to wait to see how the court decides. Uh, do you have a, an if-then um, takeaway? E- either way the court decides, there's a problem with the opinion. Um, and and the, the, the biggest problem well, the parents we are going to be pretty happy if, it, if they decide uh, on their behalf that they can benefit from the scholarship program. True, but that's rather short-sighted because right. that that family will be happy because the 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 Supreme Court found their way this time. It'll probably be and a five what? four decision too, don't you think? It it, it doesn't prepare. matter. The the problem you have is now we've said the law on paper doesn't matter. What matters is the opinion of five of nine people in black robes. That's not a republic. That's an oligarchy. That is, you know, they've taken what what they sh- what should have happened was the, uh, the they should have gone to their state representatives saying, listen, this Blaine Amendment it, it violates our freedom of exercise, our freedom from establishment, uh, our free exercise in our own state constitution. It it's a conflict here. Let's rescind it. Instead. They said, we're going to put the federal government and make the federal government bully the states to do this. Because one thing almost everybody has not been taught, the courts have zero power to enforce their opinion. That's true. Right? I concur. Uh, Alexander Hamilton <laughs> said in Federalist 78, they have neither force nor will, only judgment. You know, we saw that uh, in with the Brown versus Board Education in 1954, when the court uh, ended racial segregation in schools, and they said in all deliberate speed. And so it was more than 10 years later before the schools were integrated in my hometown uh, mm-hmm. of Bedford, Virginia. But it's because we, we're, rather than fixing our own problems, we're trying to get a government to bully. And I use that, that, that term for a reason. Um, everyone assumes, okay, we'll get the federal court to decide this. And okay, if it decides in, the, in favor of the parents, the parents will be happy today. But what happens tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, next decade, when they or their children or their grandchildren have some other case, some other concern and rather than saying, well, this is what the law says and this is how we're going to apply it, we now have to wait to see if the whim of a court, which changes over time, will supersede the laws that have been passed by the people of the United States. Well, Paul, is there any reason see, to... If they, if, they get their way, I was gonna say, if they get their way, they're actually buying their scholarship funds with the freedoms and liberties of both them and their children in the future. Because they've, they've taken away their own right to live how they want and said, we're going to get the government, the federal government to decide that for us. Paul, is there any reason to believe that, it, that the court would change in the way that you and a lot of conservatives would like to see it change? Is there any hope for that? 
Um, not the way that I would like to see it change. See, I'm, conservatives tend to want a court that finds a more conservative standpoint. Here's my problem. Um, of the nine justices, only two have I found most of the time make their decisions based on what the Constitution actually says. Which two? And it, uh, Mostly Thomas and Gorsuch. Gorsuch is relatively new. He doesn't have a long track record, but they tend to make their opinion, base their opinions more on what the Constitution is. Now, they're not perfect, um, but that's, that's my problem is we're asking a court to do something it's not designed to do, and that is to rule a people. Uh, I, one interesting fact is lawyers do not study the Constitution in law school. I they know. Study- sometimes they don't even read it, uh, or if they do have a constitutional course, it's not like the reading group you had with your, um, uh, gr- your, your students. Right. The problem is what they're taught is constitutional law, which is a judge's opinion about what the law should be. Look at the, the, look at the last couple of Supreme Court nominations. They were never asked their opinion about, you know, they were, they were focused less on their uh, understanding of the Constitution and their fidelity to it. They were more interested in, would they abide by precedent and stare decisis? Would they place the opinion of judges above the written Constitution? You're right. Would I they mean, place, that's what precedent's all about. Would they place the opinion of a group of judges above the people of the United States? And but I mean, the Constitution I mean, we wrote. Yeah, but I mean, we get into the arguments about uh, that, that many law schools uh, endorse that the Constitution is a living document that changes with the times and the culture. I disagree. And you find those same people would make the same argument about the Bible. And of course, we know that um, these documents, the Constitution, uh, the, the, the Bible, the Declaration of Independence, that those documents don't change with the times and the people, that they should um, stand and be interpreted on their own merits. Well, you know, it's interesting because the best lives have a grain of truth in them. <laughs> yes, the, the Constitution can be changed. We've amended it 27 times. We've added things that we thought need to be added. We've taken away things. On one occasion, we took away something we thought was a mistake, but it was done through a proper process through the approval of the states. Right. Um, it wasn't nine people deciding what it should be. And if there's one thing that I would hope people would understand is that the Constitution is a contract. The official terms of compact. It's an agreement between the states. Once you start recognizing that, if you would treat if if you would treat the Constitution like you would any other contract, the contract when you build a home, the contract when you buy a car, the contract when you sign up for cell service. If you treat the Constitution the way you treated those contracts, you would see just how often it's not only it's violated, and how often the um, we it costs us our most basic fundamental rights and liberties because we have let the government go outside of its prescribed role, and we refuse to hold the people we hire, we elect, to act in our in our name to hold them accountable to that oath of office that says they'll support the Constitution. 
I agree with that. And in our remaining few uh, seconds, could you tell our listeners uh, how they can get in contact with you and give out your website address or any other information? Sure. The best place to go is my website, constitutionstudy.com. Um, that's where you'll find all of my articles, all my videos. There's a newsletter you can sign up for. I send out once a month with news about the Constitution. You can also get my articles and videos delivered directly to your inbox. You know, sign up for the newsletter. There's a checkbox for that. Uh, I am on Facebook. I'm on YouTube. I'm on Twitter. Um, you can find my books either through the website or up on Amazon.com. And as I said, I will have a full-length book hopefully coming out uh, in a couple of months that will cover the entire Constitution in plain, everyday language. Thank you so much, uh, Paul, for being on the Be the People show. And this show is named Be the People as a reminder to the We the People mentioned in the preamble of the Constitution to stand up and be the people who reclaim their nation and their world and so we really are about the Constitution and about people understanding it, but taking action when they get knowledge, such as the knowledge you provide. Thank you again, Paul. And until next time, be the people. Be the people.